This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular champ chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization, Spirit North, will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is our post-race chat, actually our post-stage four chat of the Ski Tour 2020, which took place today in Norway. We caught Devin when he was a little bit off the grid, mildly off the grid, up in a cabin in Sujin, Norway, that's about maybe 15 miles away from Lillehammer and can be considered a bit of a cross-country skiing mecca. So, it's cool. yeah, it's a big storm, big storm outside. So we're uh, hunkered down, but tomorrow's supposed to be nice, so that'll be fun. That sounds awesome. Uh, all right. My day is going fairly well. So, yeah. Yep. It's all good. Nice. I did. I made the mistake of going inside, and I have an office off the house, which is like heaven. It's a sanctuary, yeah. really. I walked in the house yeah, maybe always. five minutes ago, and okay. we have two dogs, both rescues, and one has only been in the house maybe three months. I walked in the cushion. Of course. If you could destroy and murder a couch, <laughs> it looks like a murder scene of foam oh, and no. like couch threads oh, everywhere. No. And I just looked at it and turned around and came back and that's called a, That's you. a better so, idea. You know what? That's, 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 uh, you know, it's not tomorrow Jason's problem because you'll have to deal with that quicker than tomorrow, but it's, it's next hour's it's Jason's true. problem. <laughs> that's right. I was like, I'm out. I have coffee. I'm calling Devin. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah Exactly. Let's talk about this 34K. Yeah, so like, let's talk about the 34K and um, just kind of getting some context. Originally, stage four was supposed to be a point-to-point race from... Yeah, Storlian to Merocker, that's right. And point-to-point uh, -point with one feed zone, approximately, I think, 25K in, um, where coaches could actually like coach and, and give feeds that obviously was rearranged. What, what went down? Yeah, I know. You know what? It's just so exposed in that area of the world. It's a little like Shushin actually here, um, where you're above tree line. Tree line is rather low here in Norway, of course, given that the latitude is, is quite far North and a lot of the race took place above tree line or in a very open area. And the wind 
you know, they, they were calling for quite a bit of snow and wind and there wasn't much snow happening today. So they got a little lucky that way. But as far as the wind was concerned, it was windy and it obviously was the right call, even though the weather turned out to be better than expected. Um, but, but with that kind of forecast, they made the right decision to, to adjust the course. And they had plan B's and a plan C in place before, even though, like we've talked about previously, this, this ski tour 2020 has had, uh, had its challenges. But uh, as far as having a, a B plan and a C plan in place prior to the event, they did have that. And this um, plan B that they executed was they started and finished in the Marocker Stadium. And they went up towards Storlium, did a loop, and then came back. Uh, as an out and back type course, and I, you know what, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good solution. It's still long enough to to make things to have a real impact on this tour, especially for the women's field. I mean, I was really curious. I was really looking forward to seeing the stage just because it's beautiful terrain up there, and I mean, it, with a nice day, it would have been great. But also, also to see how you know Teresa doesn't take any prisoners. Like she, she just really hammers from the gun and. 38k across terrain like that I, I was expecting that she would have gone early and, and could have gotten an immense amount of time and in the end she did just that she she got an immense amount of time in this 34 kilometer competition on on most of the field but but it, it was a little tighter and it had some excitement especially nearing the end i mean it's funny because i was taking my cues less on time and hearing her just when the when they uh the mics pick up her breathing oh, yeah. and she's just so intense oh, and it's like, she's a thoroughbred out there and she's just gunning. And I liked it. I mean, I thought it was a cool race. And like you said, I watch things like that more for like, okay, what's the countryside like, but I have a question. Um, and I was talking to someone about this this morning. It was, a win it, it's, it obviously was quite windy and it's exposed in sections. How does that play out in you know pack racing for skiers and i think most people would come to this thinking about how wind might affect racing in a peloton you know in a tour de france stage or something like that and how things might get broken apart maybe someone turns a corner and they get a tailwind and they accelerate for 50 meters and boom they've got a gap yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that maybe played out or did not play out in the women's race? And then we can also, you know, like similar thoughts for the guys. Yeah, no, I found it actually fairly interesting because it was a headwind all the way out on course. Not not that small loop they did in Marocker, in the actual race stadium in Marocker. But once they, once they started heading up into the quote-unquote mountains, but into that, that exposed terrain, that uh, tundra, it's not a tundra at all, but, but above treeline. Once they headed out above treeline, it was a headwind all the way up, and, and Teresa was just so much stronger. I mean, after 10 minutes, she had a gap, and she built through that lead. But I was a little surprised, to be honest, uh, that the women's field broke up the way it did, given that there was such a, such a big headwind heading out towards the top of the course before they did that small loop on the top and kind of screaming back down. Um, especially contrasting that with the with the men's field, which definitely played into that cycling tactic where all the men knew it was a stiff headwind heading up up valley or not valley, but heading up into the high high terrain, and no one was willing to do anything. I mean, uh, it was a very slow pace up to the midpoint of that course uh, today for the men, and and as that's what I would have expected because. You know, cycling, they move really fast, and, and <laughs> that's why a draft has a big effect because, um, yeah, of course, like that, it just, there's a lot of resistance. 
Uh, and if you're in the slipstream behind somebody that you can save a lot of energy, but also in cross country skiing, especially on flatter terrain, you're standing up, right? You're catching a lot of wind. And on these flatter stages where you're traveling 20, 20 plus kilometers an hour average, uh, it can make a big difference. And I think that's what you saw the men's in the men's field that pe people knew that it was just such a disadvantage to try and go to the front and drill it and get a gap. Uh, it cost too much and you were going to drag a lot of strong candidates along with you in trying such a move. And they decided that we're just going to take it pretty chill to the top. And then on the way back towards Marocker, and then as you got closer to the stadium, that's when you saw the real fireworks happen when wind wasn't really an issue. Is there like when you guys are thinking about tactics and things like that, is there like a, um, and obviously the physics are a little bit different than, than riding in a pack or behind a few people biking when, yeah, like you were mentioning, you can get a little more aerodynamic, maybe in your drops or whatever, um, behind someone, but how would you play that out? It's like, okay, I want like a minimum of like two or three skiers around me and maybe I'll turn to someone and be like, let's go for it. Or do you want 10 or 15 skiers? No, oh, I, you know, I didn't today, like when I saw the men's race, even though maybe some viewers might find it a little boring, especially compared to the women's race where, where, like you said, Teresa does just, just hammer from the start and she doesn't care about weight. She doesn't care about terrain. She's just going to, She's going to rip the legs off you right the, the first chance she gets. The men, the men, I would have, I would have played it like a lot of those, a lot of those athletes were, would just like stay out of the front. There's no reason. There's just absolutely no reason to be in the front when, when there is such a stiff wind, headwind, uh, for the first 15, 16 kilometers of that course. And I would have just been very happy to sit if I was strong enough, of course, but in like between 10 and 15, just hide in there and be totally protected, knowing that with a headwind like that it, it is highly unlikely especially when you see that the pace the first five kilometers when you're through the race trails in maroc or the the actual course uh you're not seeing anybody attack you're not seeing anybody take chances then then you have to start thinking that you know what this is just going to stay together till we till we turn and burn and uh once you make that calculation then it's all about just protecting yourself as best as possible from the elements and yeah sitting between 10th and 15th or is a is the is the right call before you start turning and, and feeling that wind at your back and then, then you have to move up or else you, you can get caught out which which a few athletes did get caught out today although did they get caught out or were they just not strong enough it's hard to know so thinking about strong enough um what was the most impressive beyond Yohog? I mean, I sort of, I have an idea for me, but like, what was the most impressive performance out there today for you on the women's side? Oh, for, oh, on the women's yeah, side. I just want to uh, flesh that out a little bit more. Cause yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Let's, let's, let's stay on the women's side. I mean, to me, the way Ingveld executed this race today was, was a thing of beauty. I mean, it was a very hot pace from the start, like we've now repeated a number of times already, but uh, Teresa really went for blood right from the gun, and, and Ingveld was very disciplined. She didn't go with that early move. Uh, she didn't go with Heidi and, and Eva Anderson that, that were trying to hang on to Teresa. She was happy to, to sit back a little bit, bide her time, and she slowly ramped it up, and by the time they started coming back down towards the stadium, I mean, I was flabbergasted, quite frankly, that Ingveld was able to erase a 40 second gap down to 12 seconds in the space of a few kilometers. I mean, that on Teresa, maybe Teresa just fell asleep in that sort of terrain. Of course, Teresa is a lighter athlete and, and maybe not the strongest on gradual downhills, but Ingveld is also a fairly light, light athlete now too. And 
while she has had a lot of power in the past, especially going back to 2014, for example, when she was more sprint oriented, she, she hasn't been shown to have that same power that she had prior, but she really executed the race perfectly well. I think she managed her energy really well. And I think that's what you were seeing today. Uh, and she was helped by great skis, of course, but, but you have to assume that Teresa and Heidi, uh, all of which are on Fisher and all of which are Norwegians, uh, would have had good skis as well. But um, <laughs> I, I thought it was, that was, the, that was to be honest, Ingveld's race was the race of the yeah. day. The fact that she was four seconds back from Teresa in the end, the way that she executed that race, you know, at times she was probably close to a minute back uh, from Teresa and not panicking. And just sticking to her race plan and executing with the terrain to her strength and was able to erase all that all that gap by the end to be only four seconds back uh, the unstoppable Terezio hug was uh, was just a great great race by Ingveld. and then Heidi of course you know she, she really well it's hard to say she came undone let's be honest uh, nearing the end of this race but uh, she held on for third. She was a bit in no man's land after Ingveld got that gap on her, but still secured a solid race. And the win was over before it started. When Teresa Yohug wins a skate sprint, like we talked about a couple of days ago, then you're in tough. Um, but Heidi is right in there for second place. So uh, a solid race by Heidi again. And let's just let's just comment on on the on the obvious. Uh, even though I I do enjoy the women's side of things more this whole season purely based on the fact that there's uh, more different, like there's different nations competing week in, week out. Um, even though Teresa wins everything, the podium can change. And I like seeing different nations competing at the top. Um, but uh, in this in this Ski Tour 2020, what's the trend you see on the women's side? Because I see Norway, Norway, Norway a lot on sure. all these podiums. Sure. And, today was no, and today was no different. And I was expecting if i'm perfectly honest I'm, i was expecting ebba who looked so strong earlier in this early in this race today to to be more in the fight for the medals and, and she just wasn't able to do that uh, today i mean we have like three i mean you're right no <laughs> i'm trying not to laugh right but it is there's lots of norwegians i'm sure having a great time rooting for the home team in Norway, as they seem to be cleaning up on the women's side here. Oh, but they are there. They're just, they, they've swept the podium every race. And, and they are. Right. But I also am thinking like, especially when you look at the top three, to even taking out the, the national banner, it's like three very hardened, like, racers and all very experienced absolutely yeah and then looking at Jakobsen in fifth totally. you know, Anderson's a little bit younger it's like and Diggins right yeah. but just it's and I'm I'm just guessing growing up in Norway right and you're a pretty decent skier it's like hey let's go knock out 40k over in Sujin or wherever right <laughs> and you're 15 years old yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like yeah that sounds great let's oh, bring sure. some change so we can get like a um, a twenty dollar espresso or something. Oh, cinnamon bun and yeah, 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 for sure, exactly. Twenty dollar waffle with brown cheese. No, I. It, it is a cultural. It, it is just such a cultural mainstay cross country skiing and and like you said, the three women today that swept the podium. I mean, when Heidi's back to her top level after struggling the last couple seasons, now she's back this year and she's been back right from the first weekend. Uh, these are the biggest names in skiing, and it's right. not a surprise in the thirty four k skate race that that they sweep the podium. And I mm -hmm. do want to give a shout out to, of course, Jesse in seventh, another solid day, Rosie Brennan with another top 10. This is, this is without question her strongest season 
of her career. Uh, and I think that's really great to see as well, especially given some of the struggles she's had in the last few seasons as well uh, in periods. And Sadie, I thought, did a really great job today to be back up in 11th. You know, yes, she's 344 back, uh, but that next group, that group from about Astrid and down, Astrid was 306, three minutes and six seconds behind, and in fifth, and Sadie was 344 back. And that's not so far back off fifth place. And Sadie had... I've heard had been struggling mm-hmm. a little bit with yeah. uh, stomach issues and some health issues. And that was on the heels of really real fatigue that she was carrying out of the tour de ski. So she's had a tough period. Like we've talked so many times for the North American athletes that, that are away from home the entire season, even though her husband is French, <laughs> you know, try speaking French with Sadie, like she's American through and through, let's be honest. So, so to be away from, to be away from home all for that long and then going through some struggles. I thought it was nice to see Sadie back up fighting near the top end of the race. And uh, so that was great to see big, another story with the women. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Krista Parmakowski, she, she bonked, she bonked today. That's okay. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that's been someone who, you know, I, I like to see her do well. Right, it's like she is oh, a yeah. star from Finland. She seems like an affable person, um, and yeah, she had a tough go. And and at first, I thought, okay, you know, again, maybe bad skis, maybe just rounded a corner and got gapped. But yeah, rough day. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a rough day. And I think what happened, uh, all things point to the fact that she just went, she just went empty. She she bonked. Uh, she, you know, like you were talking about, I wasn't all that pumped or I didn't really see the point of like not allowing feeds and having athletes having to go with their own water belts and, and that sort of thing. And I'm like, well, I don't know what the point of that is, to be honest. I still don't know why you can't just have coaches like every 5k along the course, but regardless, they went with that strategy. And, and Krista, like all the other, other women and men had their own drinks with them, but uh, obviously wasn't disciplined enough or taking the time to drink enough or, or just, pure and simply like with a tour de ski where you're have the stress of warming up and cooling down and changing venues. And I mean, she was living out in that nasty army base and I'm just joking, but she was, but, um, uh, you know, she just starting to run out of energy. And then if you forget to drink for 10 kilometers and then all of a sudden try, you're too late. And, and she, she went empty and, and you saw, you saw what happens in a 34 K race. That's a distance that the women are rarely, well, they never race before because 34 kilometers isn't a standard distance, but it's rare that it's rare that they race 30 kilometers in a season. And for her to lose four and a half minutes in a skate stage like that, that was very unusual. And, and she, she needed to be helped back to the, the finish wax truck to get changed. And she was in rough shape. So she definitely hit the wall and lost a lot of time. And in a race that should have suited her a lot better, that was tough to see. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, it, but in the end, like uh, kudos to fist for mixing it up a little bit. Right. Good format. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm actually, Oh, for sure. And I'm actually glad that they, they kept this long stage as true to the schedule as they could have because one of their other plans was just to make it if the weather was just horrendous which it can be in that part of the world uh Marocker, as much as torana hetland likes to tell me Marocker is like the dream and the best place on earth <laughs> the weather in Marocker, the weather in Marocker is vicious and very inclement like it's it, you don't want to i don't know the weather in Marocker is 
not not something to be celebrated and and one of the one of the the b plans was probably the c plan was was just if it got really nasty just to just to have a 15k and a 10k right in the Marocker stadium in the woods there and so i'm really glad that even though the wind was high they did they did make a longer stage and and uh it made for something a little different even though from the women's side of things it it, it has destroyed the tours not destroyed but right. i mean it is it's so over. over now like now the tour is officially over it's it's totally over for the win i would even say it's over for the podium uh at this point but you never know there there is the 15k classic pursuit in trondheim anything can happen but uh it was also great another little shout out for the women before we move on to the men is, is sandrine brown again career best career best performance today in a 34k skate with all like i mean i'm a broken record but she she's been having a lot of struggles uh this season and for her to put all that behind her and now score points in a few few races in 25th um yeah she was a long ways back today but there was a lot of great skiers there were also a long way back uh today in a in a race as challenging as this and conditions as challenging so sandrine great race really great to see and again uh, i hope these are results that um our canadian women can can really build on is there I, I mean when you look at this too i'm just looking at the results here sandrine's 25th at 607 right Catherine stewart jones is in a photo finish for 31st right and i'm sure obviously she knows she's like oh gosh right out of the points but that said what i mean oh, what's yeah. the pressure oh, what's the pressure on i was going to say cross-country canada but it's now it's nordic canada they have a new website too. True. Oh God, don't get me started. Uh, I know, don't get me started with that. What a waste. Well, I'm just telling you, I think the website was launched like last week or something. But that said, yeah. like, what is the pressure on the governing body at this point? It's like, look, you, you're there. I mean, at least you're inching into that zone of like points are possible. And how do you, rather than like, okay, here's our 10 year plan projecting forward or out to like the 2040 Salt Lake games or whatever they're projecting is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm being facetious there, right? But there sounds like Salt Lake's ramping up for a bid, but rather than like that 10, 15 year plan, like what can happen in the next eight months to position these women for, you know, better support, say come next November in Ruka, if it starts in Ruka next year. Now, I think I think they've done to be honest even though they there'll always be criticism for for every leadership around the world Norway gets criticized Sweden everyone's getting criticized uh, it's hard it's hard to, to keep everybody happy um, but but what I do think has been a good change is this year across country Canada Nordic Canada has, has moved away from the fact that we just like throw everybody in the World Cup and hope it works uh, you know, it's like throw spaghetti on the wall and, and hope one sticks to the wall. Like, why don't you just take the spaghetti out and taste it and see if it's ready to eat? <laughs> and uh, and they've been using that strategy more this year, which I am so on board with. They've been racing in OPA Cups. And if you've seen some success in the OPA, uh, Catherine Stewart-Jones won an OPA earlier this season. Daria, Daria, did Daria won yeah. an OPA as well. And she... she both those women have scored points in the World Cup this year, and I think it is just such a better use of resources and a better use of development to have women that 
have had some chances in the past, quite a few chances and just weren't, they were knocking on the door, but these women have been knocking on the door for many years and, and haven't been able to break through. And this year, instead of just going like, okay, pack your suitcase, go to Ruka, get crushed, and then just try and stay motivated as you're away from home for four months in a row and go from World Cup to World Cup to World Cup. Instead, they've been managing their energy better. They've been managing their resources better. The women are spending more time in Canada, racing some NORAMs coming over to Europe and then not jumping right into World Cups, but instead building confidence, getting some getting some real experience racing at the front end of a race and the tactics and that excitement that comes with that. And you've already seen that translate into some pretty historic results for for Canada on on that B circuit, on that OPA Cup circuit. And I, I think that's just been such a great, great way to, to build the development of the women. And Sandrine, uh, you know, like I said earlier, a little chip on her shoulder, uh, you know, getting left off the national team this year and then and then also dealing with some unforeseen issues like uh, her concussion and coming back and, and racing in Canada, being at home with her family, her boyfriend, great ski conditions in Mont Saint-Anne and then coming here and, and now she's ready. And I think it is just so much better, is a better strategy to do it that way than in years past where Sandrine has spent full years on the World Cup and not even close to the points or like close to the points in a couple races but mostly skiing in the 50s you don't learn anything doing that so i think it is uh it is, they're going in a right the right direction i think they now they can really build on that strategy moving forward and i think it should translate into better results uh in oberstdorf and it I, I would not surprise me and it it should be expected at this point that that two canadian women in in uh oberstdorf two to three Canadian women should be scoring. There's no points at world championships, but should be skiing into the top 25 now. They they have taken a step. So, you know, slow and steady, but I think it's been a good strategy they've implemented for the women this year. Guy's side, performance of the day. He probably speaks Russian. Oh, well, it's not, yeah, oh, for sure. He definitely doesn't speak English. And uh, wow, he can't be stopped. I mean, like, like I said, they waited really long. It was fairly boring out of the start, as expected with the wind, especially with the men. They're more cynical than the women. Um, but uh, in the end, you know, Shira takes a dig, takes Bolshinov with him, and then Bolshinov just says, thanks for the ride, bud, and see ya. And the strength of Bolshinov, his big technique, uh, he's on fire. He can't be stopped this whole season. And uh, looking at the results, I mean, it's 51 seconds by the end there. And that is a, an eternity, especially when really the race was a 15K uh, or 17K, can you say, because they really were chilling uh, off the start. So, so Bolshinov was a, a step above like he's been in a lot of distance races this season. And today's win was a real, sh- a real show of strength. But uh, so he's the race of the day for me, of course. But, but the surprise of the day, I must yeah. say, is Emily yeah. Everson. Uh, I thought that was really cool to see. He's from Marocker. Uh, he's another one. He's another one of those guys like the Toronto Headlands of the world that just thinks Marocker, like the sun rises and sets in Marocker because it's the best. And Emily Everson last year, the national championships for Norway were in Marocker. Marocker is a small place, man. It's it's like a gas station, a couple grocery stores. Like there's nothing there. And Emil took some victories last year at home and he's got that little bit of that Alex Harvey in him. Like he likes to show up when he's at home in front of the hometown crowd. He grew up very close to the, to the race stadium there in Marocker and it means a lot to him and for him to, to clamber up onto the podium in his hometown 
you know, that, that chance may never come again in his career to, to, to compete in a World Cup at home. And like Alex Harvey in Quebec City, I don't know, I would never would have put Emily Verson on the podium today, especially after the challenges he's had and for him to, to sprint in for third place, like that he must be over the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like for you that, or for me, that definitely when I was thinking and watching that big pack was not expecting him to pop out. Right. Oh. So that was a, that was a pleasant surprise, I suppose. Oh, um, for sure. If you're from Morocco, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I want to drill down on Morocco just for like a minute there. Okay. It sounds like, and again, like I know people enjoy some, I mean, I grew up in a dinky little town, like with a blinking stoplight and a golf gas station and a, <laughs> I'm trying to think there was no VFW, but there was a, um, God, what do they, what do they call it? Like a farmer's. God, it's missing me. You know, it's like a place where all the farmers would gather. Yeah, okay. Uh, like a grange. They call it a grange. Yeah. yeah, okay. Nice. So we had a grange. Otherwise, not much going on in my part of the world. So, but a great place to grow up. So what might make Morocco like, yeah, dude, it's the end all be all. So we have two people you've mentioned that like speak highly of it. America is just cross country skiing through and through. I mean, they have a, they've had a, a, a high school, a sports school there through the ages and a lot of the best skiers in Norwegian history have, have been, been students at that school. Uh, Martin, uh, some like Martin Sandby that we have to come back to, too. Uh, he, he went to Meraker, uh, to the sports school there, even though he grew up in Oslo. So there was a lot of other places he could have chosen to oh. go to. Oystein Pedersen too, uh, grew up in Oslo as well. And, and he went to Meraker for, for high school. Um, or maybe he went there actually for first year university because they have a, a sport uh, sport science program there as well. But either way, these athletes are moved to America to ski and study a little bit. And the community, while very small, is just so skiing crazy. Like they're they're full on skiing nuts uh, in that small community, and they're very supportive. The skiing is great. There's amazing trails all over the place. Too bad the weather is just insanely bad. But they have a lot of history of great skiers and a great club. The Marocker Ski Club is uh, very strong and has been strong on the national level um, throughout many, many decades. So I think it just has this, it's a little nugget here in Norway. I mean, it's funny. It's funny to hear because Marocker, you know, people that haven't been to Norway much or haven't traveled around. Maybe they've heard of Marocker because Marta Christofferson, when she was on the World Cup, skied for Marocker. Like I said, Toron Hetland went to school in Marocker as well at the sports school. Frode Estil is actually a teacher in, 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 in the Marocker school. <laughs> so if people, that's a blast from the past, the world champion in the 50K from 2005. Yeah. Uh, so you have a lot of rich history there and uh, it has a real special place. But when I was first in Marocker, I'm like, this is what everyone's talking about. Like, there's nothing here. We're just like in the woods. Like, we're just in the woods with like a couple houses. Like, this, this is so weird that this is like a quote unquote mecca. But when you when you dig dig through the surface a little bit, you see that it's hard to find communities in the world that are just so cross country ski passionate. Even here in Norway, when stacked up to to Marocco, it is a special environment, and uh, it's really cool that they got to. To host their World Cup event. Okay, and does Everson does he reside in Oslo now or Trondheim or is he actually? No, he he lives straight up. Oh, he in does. Marocker. He built. A, he, yes, they built. Well, he, he bought a duplex in Marocker 
And so, no, he lives in Marrucker, so that's that's home for him. Although, it should be said that Marrucker is not so far from Trondheim. You're an hour 15 from the city, so you're not, like, so isolated, even though when you're there, it is definitely, like, not much happening. <laughs> okay, it's funny, because, like, I don't know, maybe it was 2017, I was over in Norway, Finland, covering races, and then I brought my older kid over for, you know, he was, like, in eighth grade. I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to skip school, come so we, anyway, the short version is at the end of our trip, we cruised down to Oslo to buy, I think my wife and I scarf and out of the store, out of this like fancy, it wasn't Gucci, but it may, it, it may, might as well have been in like a Gucci store walks like Everson, Claybo and some <laughs> other skier. Amazing. Right. And like, and it was funny cause my kids like, oh my gosh, there's Michael Jordan and you know, whoever yeah, yeah, totally like is. rock stars. And he was just kind of starstruck and stood there and watched him. But I was like, these dudes look like they're right at home. Like, Walking out of Gucci. Oh, for sure. Everson's he grew up in America, so he's he's fool he's trying he's trying to pull pull something there. Like he's <laughs> Okay, I was just kinda curious. I just assumed I was like, Oh, these guys must all live in Oslo and live fat, but okay. No, no. But uh, but um, no, but Emma Leverson is. But Claybo grew up in Trondheim. So, which is one of the biggest cities in Can- in uh, Norway. So that uh, that's not surprising, but that, that that's a great story. Wow. <laughs> well, it was just funny. because oh, yeah. like you know, little Star Trek dude. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, okay, just one, like cycling back to the racing here. How, what does that, I mean, and you kind of alluded to this, but how hard is that to pull off what Bolshinov did, where you've got just, you know, hounding skiers and you look down the list here. Let me pull up my, my finish here. You know, it's like Glebo, Everson. There's eight Norwegians in the top 12. Yeah, yeah. and you've got Colonia. Right, you you've got yeah for sure all yeah Kruger Melishenko yeah no no the big, the heavy hitters especially in skating and Andrew Young and Andrew Young another great race for Andrew Young oh man he's just saving Great Britain with uh, the struggles the struggle bus that uh, Andrew Musgrave got on early in the season has just had locked himself into that struggle bus and refuses to get off it uh, so so no it's 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 so huge. It's crazy. It's awesome. It's it's an amazing race, and I mean, you can look back in his career. I mean, his his race in Holman Colon last year was just incredible. But um, no, no people that don't understand skiing uh, to that that depth, it, 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 what Bolshinov was able to do today was was nothing short of amazing. I mean, like you said, to to hold off a hard charging pack uh, behind you and with some of the biggest names in skiing all all trying to limit their losses at that point was incredible was an incredible performance and and Bolshinov is just showing week in and week out that he's not to be messed with and I, I thought this was had to be one of the better races he's ever done this season because like you said it, it's just and that's light terrain too he's not doing it on like some in home and colon for example where you have just these punishing long climbs that are just never ending or Lillehammer for example like this, this is light terrain and he's able to to ski away and then and then hold off a hard charging pack like he did and I was in, incredible and Shrewd had amazing skis I don't know if you saw that but like Shrewd's skis were just out of this world good and he did a big dig and skied amazingly well and and he he just came undone he held on for seventh which was a which is great to see but I mean he couldn't he couldn't hack the pace that Bolshinov set up there so like one of the best the world champion in Seyfeld in the pursuit got popped. Uh, from Bolshinov on on with skis that were just ridiculously amazing and 
and also in light terrain. It was uh, no, it was a real show of strength by Bolshinov, and uh, he's going to be borderline impossible to to knock off for the for this tour win. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. There's a classic sprint. He's an amazing classic sprinter too. But 30k classic pursuit too on on Sunday and uh, Tron is going to be uh, oh, man. I don't know. I think I, I think this tour has kind of gotten away from from the rest of the field, but. Just as well, Bolshinov's been the strongest all year, and today, I mean, it was a well-deserved victory, and like you said, it's just an uh, amazing feat of strength. Yeah, kind of just uh, not what I, again, not what I expected after watching the first portion of the way, so I was like, eh, no. No, absolutely, it, especially on coming home. It's such light terrain. It's a gradual downhill, and even though they have a tailwind, I'm like, okay, well, it's just going to be it's gonna be a fairly big pack, and it was a fairly big pack after Bolshinov, but but Bolshinov somehow was able to to eke out that distance. It was it was incredible. Does it get does a race like that get as highly or could it get as highly organized as like a chase in a bike race where say you've got four or five or six guys chasing two dudes off the front where they're rotating out every twenty seconds or ten seconds, whatever they're doing, they're doing like a oh for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely gets organized. I think back to the Tour de Ski stage from, from Cortina to Toblach, that uh, 36K stage that we had a number of years, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was very, it was very well organized, especially in the working sections uh, to, to claw back in a pursuit-style event. And uh, so for sure, it does get well organized. Today, it didn't seem as... I mean, it, it, Bolshinov's move just came so late in the race, and then that, that gap just exploded so fast. Um, so, but yeah, no, absolutely. There'd be pace lining happening. Yeah. Trying to, trying to claw back that time. Okay. Um, enjoy your country estate. Yeah. Thank you. That's not, yeah. Thank you. But before we, before we sign off, yeah. I do have to say, I, we do have to talk about Sunday. His struggles continue. He's pulled out of the tour to oh, ski, uh, ski tour 2020. Yeah. He was 20th today. Uh, looks disappointing on the surface but he was only 151 right, back and, right. and he was fourth only a few days ago in a 15k skate in in Ostersund but his back injury had reared its ugly head again and there's now he, he's been quoted as saying that the season is over that um, no this is the race season the 20 the 2019 2020 season is over and he's just going to have to look forward to to 2021 and try and get this back injury under control so sad to see martin sunday uh take a bow uh, this has not been the season that he had been hoping for um no podiums if that's the case and he doesn't come back to the world cup he he ends his season for the first time in what a decade that he doesn't have a single world cup podium to his name and Hopefully he can figure out the, this this back injury. Uh, having his third kid coming uh, later this year isn't going to help his back uh, feel better. <laughs> but uh, but jokes aside, sad to see such a um, such a big star of the of the of the circus uh, bow out early, and and it looks like now that this could be the season the season ending race. So that that's sad to see. But wishing him some good recovery, and hopefully he can come back stronger. When he said that that he wanted that it's all in for for 2021 i'm like wow you are like you are a total machine you're like a cyborg like you just won't quit i mean he's not the youngest kid in the on the circuit and and just like he has he's won everything but still so motivated and and that he's an intense dude man son he's an intense dude and uh, never say die so i i hope that he can figure out these back issues and and be back at the top level next year he is he he's born in 1984 i'm doing my 
uh, quick math, he's 35. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, oh, he's not a Virgo. He's 36 years. He's a, he's a Libra. <laughs> Sorry. I know that one yeah, because I was born in September, so he falls on the wrong side yeah. of being a Virgo. He's a Libra. Yeah, um, exactly. But he's in his 36 years, so yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, but he, but he's still motivated. It's amazing. And what, well, what, what, how old were you when you retired? How old was I when I retired? 36. No, I was 35. Yeah, I was 35 because I was in my, I was in my 36 year. It, it, I'm, I'm Sunday now. <laughs> well, well, maybe, I mean, you guys are gritty. So uh, he's, I, he's I, a not sure 18,000 ahead of me, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, this was just like the rumor floating around. It's like, oh yeah. And you can speak truth to rumor here was that, oh yeah, you know, Devin was like ready to retire and he wanted to stay or st stayed an extra year to kind of help, uh, what would be the word? Um, just to help out his buddy, Alex, uh, that'd be you. So, I mean, just, I'm just curious, like that last year, what was your motivation? Yeah. No, no, for sure. That, that, that was a big, yeah, that was a huge motivation. No question. I could challenge Alex in, in training intervals uh, and also distance skiing and training in general. And, and I really wanted to see, I so badly, I so badly wanted to see a Canadian man uh, win a medal in the Olympics and before I retired. And of course I wanted that to be me. And after some struggles with my health that were really, really rearing their ugly head uh, in 2017, you know, I just like, pfft, I, but I wanted to hold on and, and I was able to challenge Alex in, in training again and in interval workouts and push him. And, and I was starting to realize that it would take a miracle for me to, to have a medal at the Olympics. But of course I never stopped believing that that was possible. But of course, Alex was the big star of our team at that point. And, um, I really wanted to be a part of that. I really wanted to be a part of our Canadian team to take its first Olympic medal for the men's. I mean, it's embarrassing that we haven't had, one single medal for the men's side, especially when you think about how strong our men's team was for a decade there. Um, world championship wins, world championship wins, a lot of world cup wins, world cup medals, um, world championship medals. And yet at the end of the day, the Olympics eluded us. Uh, the best being, you know, Alex was fourth. He, he bettered me by, by one spot in the 50 K in Pyeongchang. And uh, that was heartbreaking to, to, to experience for me as well, because I came back eight years, you know, went back in the, in the DeLorean, went back to, back and back to the past. And, you know, I, I know exactly how Alex was feeling in that moment when he, when he lost out on a bronze by a handful of seconds. And I mean, I lost out on a bronze by less than a second. So I know exactly what that feels like in the Olympic games and it's crushing. So uh, we weren't able to get it done. And then now Alex is retired. So that was, that was too bad, but that was a huge motivation. So that wasn't, that's not so much rumor as facts here. You're bang on. Um, you know, we see athletes that, you know, we see lots of moms killing it on the world cup, not lots, <laughs> but we'd see moms killing it on the world cup. Oh yeah. Mara Bjergen. Yeah. Bjorgen, Keegan Randall. Um, yeah. we have Ropen in here. Who's now back in the U S uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tony's the coach of DU. That's pretty fun. Yeah. I think she's going to kill the Berkey or at least give, give, um, but, but, but Rita Lisa has been going forever. Uh, I don't know where she finds that motivation. That's a bottomless pit of motivation that I would like to tap into. Dude, I think she gets it because she's a hardened Finn. Remember the battle of Lottie? Dude, these are not people to be messed with. Yeah. Okay. No, for sure. Exactly. No, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. 
have a great afternoon, good evening, and uh, we'll chat. Another rest day tomorrow, yeah, so we'll, yeah. we'll be back on track on, on Saturday. So it'll yeah. be fun to see in Trondheim. It's, look look for a great atmosphere in Trondheim. That'll be fun to see. They're, they're a ski-crazy city, and uh, it should be like a home and colon type uh, atmosphere with, with tens and tens and tens of thousands of fans. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, have a good one. Take care. Yep, take care, Jason. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.